0: And away we go. Welcome into The Dish, a fantasy baseball strategy podcast. I'm your host, Dan Strafford. Stepping up to The Dish today is none other, none other than Adam Share, contributor over at awesomo.com, asshole late at night. On, I say that with complete love and admiration. Over on Twitter, if you don't follow Adam, at ShipMyMoneyDFS, enjoy your late night tweets from Adam. Former host and one of the best named Daily Fantasy live streams. We'll get to that later on. Adam, how the hell you been? It's been a while. Yeah, doing
1: well. Uh, it's been a while since we used to do podcasts like every other night or something. every other night.
0: And we yeah. knew way too much about each other's lives. Um, Adam and I work together over uh, at Osimo. And I will say at the top here, uh, Osimo, Alex uh, Baker has been kind enough. Uh, we are going to do a trivia quiz here uh, about Adam, about fun things. I, I like to needle Adam about and you will have the chance to tweet at me. Give me the, the answers to the four questions, and then everybody who's gotten four right will get entered into in to win a one-month Awesomeo daily MLB package, uh, which is valued at $60. Uh, and uh, Alex, uh, thanks to him, has given us that for free. Didn't even have to purchase myself, so I got a, a coupon, Adam. I got a coupon to use over there on Awesomeo.com. Very excited about that. This is not going to be DFS 101. We're not going to sit here and break down positions and points and all that, I assume. There are plenty of places you can go to find those. I know there are plenty of places you can go to find that, but it's also not going to be too heavy. Uh, We're just trying to hit on some focal points for MLB DFS. Um, I guess the question I want to start with is, when I was doing the season-long stuff, was asking people what their favorite format is. Roto versus head-to-head versus points. What kind of draft style? What's your favorite... I I know where the wins come from and the giant large-scale GBPs, but what's your favorite game type for DFS? Is it different for different sports or... What do you like to play the most? No, it's pretty much just
1: tournaments across the board. Um, Like, cash is is fine. I find it pretty boring. I don't get a whole lot of enjoyment out of just trying to, like, predict, you know, 50, you know, slightly better than 50% outcomes and then double my money. Uh, So tournaments, I think, are a lot more enjoyable. It's where I make most of my money. Um, And, like, in in baseball, I think you can make a case to play different formats a little bit more. In other sports, I think non-tournament game types have – gotten really hard really quickly whereas in tournaments especially large field tournaments they've gotten more difficult but there's still a lot more room to to maneuver and to to make some money
0: right well we'll talk about some of the terms that apply to i think GPPs more than or tournaments more than cash games anyone who grinds cash games god bless you like that that is just not a life i feel like leading uh, in any as, uh, aspect of my life like I, just, I, I can't do it um but i appreciate those who do uh First question, trivia question. Adam was once the lead analyst on a fantasy show for a startup near and dear to my heart, FanVice.com. This show's title includes Adam's name. What was it? So that's question number one. What was the name of the last? And I, this is something I bring up all the time with Adam. So uh, you should know it from Twitter. You should know this from shows. We used to host together. But uh, that's question one. All right. Let's get into MLB DFS. This should be quick, right, Adam? Pay for projections, run optimizer, and your profit. That's that's MLB DFS, right? Yeah, pretty
1: much. That's DFS in general. That's all you have to do.
0: Right. You you hit you hit optimize. You you play the best plays. Line
1: up so you can cover every combination. Right. You're good to go.
0: Right. You know team math out there. Uh, <laughs> the scores of Twitter people were like, oh these these. And I used to be one of them. Full disclosure. Oh, I want more single entry. Just do the math of it. Like just plug it into a calculator and see how many outcomes there can be and how many outcomes 150 lineups cover it's a really small fraction it's a really small fraction so uh, let's talk a little bit serious today's Friday we're recording we're not going to talk about the slate at all but Friday and Tuesday are typically your big you know game slates 10 12 15 games depending on the time of season how do you start your day when it comes to MLB DFS is there something you're doing earlier on in the day to get ready to crunch lineups later in the day
1: No, that's actually one of the things I like the most about MLB DFS is, I mean, right now, for example, I'm starting my day by doing NBA content and focusing on NBA like all day long. And then, I mean, today's a bad example because there were five games at one o'clock, but like, for example, for, you know, tonight's, games that start at seven, I'm not even looking or thinking about baseball. I'm doing basketball stuff and then it's going to be like, Oh, baseball is ready to go. So um, that's one of the things I like about baseball is you just get the lineups. Like you're just waiting for the lineups from the teams. Um, You know, there's news to some extent. I mean, pitch counts, stuff like that, but typically it's, you know, the coach is telling you who's going to play. You, assume those players are playing and you just go from there so you don't have to do nearly as much legwork as you do for sports like basketball or football where you know you kind of have to come up with your inputs of not only how are players going to perform but how many opportunities are they going to get you know in baseball you don't have that part of the equation so um don't have to do nearly as much work which is really really nice
0: yeah as we were talking before we don't want to do the work on cash games so why are we going to do it when it when it comes to the sport but to your point biggest news that could probably come is somebody who typically you know, doesn't make the lineup batting lead off or second, like getting that extra opportunity, or clearly a pitcher being scratched. But that's all information that, again, isn't going to drastically, isn't going to come out of nowhere. Uh, which NBA, you deal with the late scratches, you deal with all that. NFL, you deal with the injuries leading right. up to lock, questionable. Yeah, like even and like,
1: even when that happens, you're usually finding out two and a half, three hours before their game right. starts. The only thing with MLB DFS that can be a pain from like a process lineup making standpoint and it actually seemed like it happened more last year than i remember re- like in in recent memory is when you do get those late scratches like a team changes their lineup you know 30 minutes 45 minutes before a game it's very annoying to especially if you're somebody that is playing 150 dfs lineups it's very annoying to try and rebuild those lineups because of just different strategy constraints within your lineup whereas basketball you know, it happens all the time, but you can rebuild really quickly because you're just saying like, okay, well, this player looks really good now. Let me play more of him. Whereas baseball, you're just like starting from scratch and you were expecting to have, you know, three, you know, an hour or two hours to get this work done. And then you're just like, oh, I need to start from scratch. And now I have 30 minutes to go.
0: Right. And to be candid, there are inputs and outputs, and you're relying on a computer and the internet, which are always, uh, fun mechanisms to deal with as well to get this data into your computer into your spreadsheets make sure you have all the, the correct data and then output from there but i do wonder we'll, we'll get to stacking in a little bit uh, so i'll leave that for but i think what you're getting at there to a certain extent is if you're stacking a certain yeah. core at 25 percent at of your lineups all of a sudden john stanton's not in the lineup or you know joey bart's sitting out heaven forbid yeah. out in san francisco that can change a lot of what you're piecing together.
1: Yeah, trying to, like, keep the same, basically maintain the same, like, strategies that you were using previously, and then just, like, adjust it without losing what you're already doing. It's annoying and difficult.
0: Yeah, very much is looking at almost starting from scratch is easier to an extent rather than trying to piece together uh, different uh, portions there. I will ask this uh, second question, trivia question. Before becoming a full-time DFS player, and a jerk on Twitter again, all love, uh, Adam attended... A trade school, and I mean by trade, a, a specific school to get a job afterwards for a specific degree type. What was the type of school he attended? Originally, when I sent Adam the notes, it said grade school. And uh, I did not think Adam went back to grade school. He can, uh, we can all act uh, a childish from time to time. But that was not the intent, just a, a typo. Yeah,
1: I was going to say, does he think that I, like, went back Billy Madison style <laughs> and just, like, started over? Or oh, what my God.
0: <laughs> that would be a reality show waiting to happen. Um, you cursing off a, a third grader would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, all right, so projections are a joke we make, and I made the joke to start, and I think plenty of people on Twitter actually believe it. Hey, I, I buy projections from Osmo, or The Bat, or you know whoever it might be, and I plug them in, and I win. Okay, fine. Maybe you win 50-50, or you win 45% of the time, and then the skill comes beyond that. Do projections hold all the pieces a, a player needs to have to construct winning lineups, or are there other aspects of baseball, of the game, that they may not capture that you need to use for DFS?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, I I would say having good projections is the main foundational piece that you need. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's some people out there that disagree and just do things totally differently than me. But uh, in general, I think it's the strongest foundational point. But you also just kind of have to understand, you know, what, what you're looking at and back, you know, seven, eight years ago, if you had good projections, you could just basically print money because there weren't good projections publicly available. Now there are. You know, you named a bunch of different places that all have quality projections that uh, are more or less, you know, if you just pit them against each other over the course of a season, you're losing to the rake, basically. And, you know, you're not coming out ahead. Um, But I still think they're the, the main foundational piece. It's just a matter of being able to build a, a strategy around them and, you know, come up with a way to get lineups to to kind of do different things and, and show up the way that you want them to, you know, so from like a strategy standpoint in baseball um, we know that there's like a lot of volatility because you're talking right. about hitters hitting four times and you talk about, you know, like Mike Trout is going to go over for 4 a lot, even though he's the best hitter, he's going to go over for 4 a lot. It would be, you, you never have a situation in the NBA where LeBron James doesn't score and Some guy that's nowhere near as good as him scores 50 points. It it doesn't happen. But in baseball, that happens, you know, relatively, like all the time. So you still want to just keep in mind that the projections are giving you like a 50th percentile outcome, and you want to be accounting still for um, different outcomes, different ways things can go, and then also paying attention to what you expect the field to do because, especially in a sport like baseball, that plays a really big role. Like you're not – you you can't be as confident – there's just more variance. There's the, the players aren't going to come right around their projection right. nearly as often as they are in, in other sports. And so you should be more willing to make plays that aren't quite as good as, you know, the best projected play. Uh,
0: a question I didn't pose to you in the the sheet I sent you ahead of time. Do you play MLB, Df- I'm sorry, MLB DFS as a season long venture, meaning I'm thinking of this as 162 or however many, Uh, multiply by three or four of the number of slates per day and i know you're playing multiple slates and you're doing different things is that how you have to look at baseball that it can't be seen as simply i'm playing today i'm playing you know for this x and because of the variance because of the the you know you're gonna lose right like just like baseball you know the best players are gonna fail two out of three times is that an approach you're taking to, to to dfs
1: yeah, and that's not specific to MLB, DFS. Right. That's all sports. Um, you're going you – you can be the best tournament player there is, and you're going to lose a lot, like, in terms of days, not in terms of money. Uh, well, money also <laughs> wow. on some days. <laughs> but, like, but, but, like, you know, any given day you expect to lose. And that is one difference between tournaments and cash. Like, recently I did go through a stretch where I just started focusing on cash games within the last couple of years, and it was mentally nice because, you know, you're not getting those big paydays, but you're, like, winning frequently, you know, even not a lot of money, but you're, you're profiting more, you know, a lot of nights. Whereas with tournaments, you're just going to lose a lot of nights and sometimes it's going to stack up and it's like, man, I haven't had a, you know, haven't won in two weeks. Um, So yeah, I think you have to, regardless of sport, look at it as a season long thing and say, you know, because you have to think about what you're playing. Um, A lot of the, you know, the large field, uh, the large field DFS tournaments pay a hundred thousand dollars to first. So you can lose, you know, theoretically, you can lose for, like, you know, a few months, a couple months straight, win once, and you're in the black. Um, right. You know, you take down that tournament once or twice in a year and, and you know, in a season, and, and you're good. Um, you don't take it down, and you're probably not because, like, you're, you're probably not going to make money because everything's so top-heavy. But, yeah, you can't – I think mentally it's one of the harder things. Is You can't just, yep. like, go in and say, like, oh, yeah, I really like this slate. I'm going to win it. And because you're not like you're you're going to lose, like ask me any day if I'm going to win that slate. My answer is going to be no, because I'm probably not going to.
0: Right. Understood. And I think one thing I want to point out, and I'm not and I genuinely mean this. This isn't just self-deprecation. I have not uh, dove into your percentile talk. So saying 50th percentile and projections, I don't know your average or even your above average DFS player truly thinks about projections in that way of what you're getting out of those numbers you know those outcomes are on a scale from one to one hundred percent um and that really matters in the risks you're willing to take uh the numbers you're going to get out of the projections uh you know safety you know you hear about floor and ceiling a lot in dfs as well what you're truly projecting for is really understanding those numbers more so i appreciate you saying that and and reminding me to say that if you're new to dfs or feel you're not good at dfs The math side of it is somewhere where you can get a lot more comfortable. Um, Even if you don't like math, just understanding the math of it all, I think has gone a long way for me of feeling a lot more comfortable with the losing, to be quite honest
1: yeah it's not like not only will it make you better obviously the more math you can understand you're, you're going to get better but even just from a mental standpoint understanding um because it's one of the things that you know you just see a lot when you talk to people like if you have any cat friends that play casually and you talk to them um and this isn't even dfs specific it's fantasy sports it's poker it's any game like that yep. all they talk about is how unlucky they got every time that they get relatively unlucky you know like in poker it's you you know you're you're to win the hand and you lose and it's like the world ended and something completely undeserved happened to you when you just have to be thinking in terms of 40% of the time, like four out of every 10 times I am supposed to lose here. I have to lose here. That's how it works. And I think that there's when, when you relate it to DFS, it can help because there's a tendency to be like, um, you know, if if, let's say I played Mike Trout and you played Giancarlo Stanton, both, you know, really good hitters. Mike Trout obviously is better. He's going to project higher. There's a tendency like, to just look and be like, oh, well, I should have won that I because yeah. Yeah. you know, like, you know I, I got so unlucky. Like, how do you play Stanton instead of Trout? I should have won that. When it's like, realistically, I should have won that like 53% of the time, and right. you're going to win 47%. And within any given day, that is absolutely meaningless.
0: I think it is something funny that you just pointed out that I don't know as human beings we often allow ourselves to get here without work is – yes, I had a 60% chance to win, but a 40% chance to lose. Right. And like that ma- that number still matters. <laughs> like that number is still part of the equation. Um, I want to move on to stacking because it's something you get. I think there are a lot of great DFS analysts out there. I think there are a lot of great DFS content providers, but there's a lot of easy lip service you can do in DFS, right? You can talk variants, you can talk stacking, you can talk uh, wind in Chicago at Wrigley Field, talking to you, Luffy. Um, And then- you can right and get away with analysis, right? Sort of topical, you know, top of the, the heap. And I'm, I'm going to throw some words out and, and name some stacks. And here we go, because I'm going to look at Vegas. I'm going to look at the implied higher totals, right? And say, okay, the Yankees have an implied total of six today, or the Astros are, are 6.7 against a terrible pitcher. Hey, that's your stack of the day, right? That's that's where my my returns coming from. There's more nuance to it, though, right? When you're talking about stacking, there's more nuance to building lineups around stacks than just implied totals, hammer them in every lineup.
1: Yeah, especially now. Um, This is another aspect where six, seven years ago, people weren't stacking nearly enough. And so you could get a big advantage just by saying the Red Sox are going to be the highest scoring team on the slate more than any other team today. So I'm going to just stat, you know, load up five back then. It used to be six Red Sox in the same lineup and go from there because there is positive correlation. And if the Red Sox light up whatever pitcher they're facing, then every hitter in that lineup is, you know, at least in theory, benefiting and being put in better situations, but now everybody understands to stack. So I actually think it's a really interesting talking point, and I've kind of gone back and forth with it. And I still stack um, and you know live by it, but I'm not 100% convinced that if you have the bankroll to support, you know, the losing streaks that are going to come, that you couldn't make more money in large field tournaments by, particularly on DraftKings. Um, FanDuel scoring uh, lends itself more to stacking because runs and RBIs yep. are worth more, but on DraftKings, home runs really carry everything. I'm not completely convinced you couldn't do better by not stacking because right. with so like the optimal lineup in DFS is so especially on like on on normal size slates at least is very very rarely going to be a stack. Um, yeah. But you don't need the optimal lineup to win, and I think the biggest. To me, like, people still talk about stacking in, in terms of, like, oh, your ceiling is higher because these guys are positively correlated. The reason I still stack is actually the opposite. Yeah. Um, yep. If the Red Sox have a five-and-a-half implied run total, obviously a lot of, you know, there's still going to be plenty of games where they fail. But if I'm putting five guys from the Red Sox into a lineup, there's just a much better chance that I capture a good amount of fantasy points right. and, uh, you know, just end up with some decent lineups. If I'm just grabbing, you know, individual hitters, it's very, very difficult to hit on all of those guys in the same lineup and have them all do well. So the reason that I prefer it actually has more to do with, like, just not getting destroyed as frequently on slates. Um, the, The issue I have with it is, with people stacking more now, what ends up happening, especially if it's a stack that, you know, is relatively owned and it's not some just, like, team, you know, the Marlins or something, then nobody else played right. them. But what ends up happening is you just end up with very, very similar lineups to every other team at the top of the tournament, and it's like, oh, well, we all have the same shortstop that failed. Uh, we all have the same outfielder that scored 40 points. So a lot of times you'll see teams that did, you know, go a little bit different, and it's like, oh, well, I stacked the, the Red Sox, but I don't have Raphael Devers, and every other team that stacked the Red Sox does. Devers took a zero. I'm in great shape. Right. So I, I do think it's a really interesting... Like topic, where you know, if you had unlimited money, I do. Th- I, I don't want to say I think because I haven't done the work. I have absolutely no idea. In theory, just kind you of you surmise, of the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just thinking through it, I think in these massive field, very top heavy tournaments, you probably over like an infinite time frame with unlimited money could make more by not stacking. But I think you also just lose your money faster right. or more so during during downswings.
0: And I candidly, that makes perfect sense to me. So I think people listening who are not, you know, deep in the weeds on DFS should get that, that again, if you hit on that lineup that is not stacked, you are going to be so far and away better than right. everyone else on that given slate that if you're playing 150 lineups in multiple tournaments and playing, you're going to clean rather than having that win where... You chop some things here and there, and you're in second place somewhere, and right. it, it makes total sense to me. Yeah, Hitting you just on get that.
1: situations in tournaments right. where it's $100K to first, like $1,000 to tenth, and every lineup from, like, first through 25th is separated by, like, one and a half fantasy points, which right. is just absolutely nothing. It's flipping a coin. So um, that that's kind of where I think like you get that number one finish probably more frequently, but you also just get a lot of like, if you need, let's say you need a hundred points to cash and get some money back, right. you're, you're, you're going to have a very large percentage of your lineups a lot of the time that score like 60 points and you don't right. get like any return that
0: day. Right. And that, yeah, it's a different approach and overall strategy to how you're playing the game, not playing each individual day. Right. Um, and I think that from a strategy standpoint, it matters when you deposit money on the site. Like, what am I doing each day to make money and to to profit here? Not, hey, I put $50 on DraftKings. Let me play in that $50 GPP and cross my fingers that i win and yeah, that's fun it too. actually hell that's fun too but
1: brick 75 who i, I respect a lot yep. um I, I kind of relate it in his when he did this it was about basketball but he did a video a couple of seasons ago where he was talking about like why you should care about min cashing basically and i don't remember the numbers off the top of my head but the general point was that like and you know he went through and showed like your min cash rate is really important in terms of how quickly you go broke and how right. how long you can afford to stay in the game i kind of view this the same way where like, even though like, a- and the way it can relate in terms of like ownership and de- and like he was talking about basketball is you shouldn't necessarily be trying to just play like all these really contrarian plays and, um, you know, just win the tournament by like 20 points when it works out because you're going to put yourself in a position where you're just getting like, right. you know, a 5% return way too often. And so I think that, that kind of applies here where um, kind of being th- from a, a floor standpoint, from a min-cash standpoint, there's benefits to being similar to the field.
0: Right. That makes sense. And I think, again, it all ties back to math. You know, And I'm going to ask you about ownership after this next trivia question. I think ownership plays in here. You already sort of alluded to it uh, to a certain extent with stacking. But trivia question number three, we're talking MLB DFS, but uh, what sport was a sport played by Adam on his highest-grossing DFS day in his career? What sport – What DFS sport did Adam play on his highest-grossing DFS day in his career? Again, awesomeo.com, one month free to whoever answers all four trivia questions correctly, tweets them at me, then I'm going to do a random drawing of those who have entered, and then we go from there. Um, This is a question about ownership we've touched on it a little bit over the years, obviously watching guys like Alex um, play awesomo.com has ownership projections, right? It says, here's the percentage we believe will be owned or rostered, depending on how you approach DFS, um, in in your lineup. Emac, I love you. Um, As you piece it together, you're looking, all right, you know, again, Trout is going to be 23% owned on this slate. He's your highest owned outfielder on uh, a 10 game or 11 game slate. How important is understanding ownership and how ownership influences lineup construction for DFS.
1: I think it's very important, and I also think it's completely overstated. Sure. Um, Kind of like, you know, in in different ways. Um, It's another thing where like six years ago, it was just kind of as simple as saying, you know, you you could just very easily put yourself in a situation where everybody's going to play the very obvious, you know, play Mike Trout. I can play Giancarlo Stanton. I know he's not as good, but when he – When he wins 45% of the time, I just pass all those Mike Trout teams. Then you started getting, you know, people started to figure it out. And once, basically once people couldn't win just by having good projections because other people figured out how to project sports, then you started paying more attention to, uh, you know, trying to figure out what other people were going to do and and all of that. And now it's gotten to a point where it's still really, really important. It's still a huge part of my strategy. Um, but one spot where I think people kind of do a disservice when they talk about DFS in general, whether it's MLB or other sports, is just talking about raw ownership and saying this guy's 25% owned, I don't play 25% owned oh, players, yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. play 40% owned players. Like He's too popular for me to play. Why is he too popular? Like You, you need the, the other part of this, and this is something that I really uh, got better at and, and learned a lot from Alex and from from Osimo using, because they have... Um, depending on the sport, you know what it's called, but uh, a tool for basically every sport, giving you the chances of success for each player right. and how likely they're popular they're, they're going to be. That's a, a huge piece because without it, you can tell me that Mike Trout's going to be 40% owned. I don't know if he should be 80% owned or 20% owned, and that makes a huge difference because if he should be 80, then 40% is too low and I want a lot. Um, if he should be 20, then 40% is too high and maybe I don't want a lot, but you still have to factor in like, you get, you know, in baseball, you have on DraftKings, you have ten roster spots. So it's still a matter of kind of picking your your spots. Just because, let's say, let's say the best player on the slate is more popular than he should be, there may still be other spots where it's like, okay, I get there's more profit for me to get away from this spot and you know go from, you know, so, you know, go, move away here, stay on Mike Trout, and I don't care that he specifically is overowned. It's more about what my entire lineup looks like. So I think that there's just a, not a, a lot of nuance to at least the way that I use ownership and that I, I think is probably the most effective way yep. um, that people don't really talk about. And I get it. I mean, it's really hard to explain. It's hard to you know, do a YouTube show and, and get into all that. But I do think that...
0: Because it's boring. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like and and
1: there, there's a very small percentage of people that are even understand what the hell you're talking
0: about. Right. But um, it's the math again. It's, it, right. it, like, it's, it is the math. I, I hate math. I, well, I don't hate math. Math is fine. But part of DFS for me when I first started playing was I get to pick players and put them in a lineup. Genuinely. It was, I get to play fantasy baseball every day. I get to draft a new team. I get to show how smart I am in analyzing these players individually. And then I start to realize, one, I was pretty shitty at it. But two, uh, that there's math to help me with that. There are projections to help me with that. And to your point here, if he's projected at 40%, but should be 80% owned, that's understanding the math of that and how you then leverage that into your own lineup construction i think is huge i will point out mlb premium monthly over at awesomeo.com. projected fantasy points projected ownership top stacks tool top pitcher tool lineup builder boom bust probabilities optimal lineup probabilities and leverage a Discord chat, including DFS 101. I'm sure you're in there a lot, Adam. Yeah. You are chopping it up I in love Discord. Discord. I, am, I am 100% sure. Uh, player value rankings, projections-based ownership rankings, and again, the, the Discord. That's what we're giving away. Uh, we've done three trivia questions thus far. We have trivia question number four coming now. Adam's going to give me his off-air answer to this one. I already know the answer, but who is Adam's all-time favorite co-host on any of his DFS live streams? Who is Adam's all-time favorite DFS co host? He's gonna tell me there's gonna be a right answer here, and genuinely, I know it's Emac, so it's fine. But um, we, we there's so many names. I want to slip in here just to see how you react to them, but I'm gonna let this go because uh, one's gonna get me in big trouble. So yeah, gonna... yeah, there's,
1: there's one specifically. That's yeah
0: uh makes me so happy to be able to reference it without referencing it and have you react to it uh last question we we didn't cover everything i didn't intend to cover everything here i think there's a lot of conversations uh you can find adam over on youtube on osmo's live streams you can find them obviously over on discord some of the uh analysts helping you build your lineups um Overall, you have a buddy, right? You sit down at the bar. Maybe somebody you meet at at the bar one night. You have your laptop open. He says something snide to you over your shoulder, and then you start talking about DFS. What What's the one thing you're telling him about success at MLB DFS? How are you starting him to to try to build a career or build a bankroll in in today's environment of Major League Baseball daily fantasy?
1: Uh, I mean, I'm trying to get away from the conversation. Right, you're punching Um, him, but that's that's fine. Yeah, I mean playing the smallest stake playing the start starting at the smallest stakes playing stuff where you can max enter um you know like I I don't know what the lowest buy-ins are anymore but like
0: 10 cents baby right 10 cents so, on DK so like
1: you know 150 entries at 10 cents you know most people I think can can start there and like cuz the thing is not only are you playing against the weakest players the weakest field, you should always be you should always be targeting the weakest fields until at least in until life. you have a. That's why
0: life works. <laughs> yeah,
1: unless, unless you have a specific strategy, a specific reason why you shouldn't be. Because there are exceptions to this, and I don't want to get into those. But um, there are reasons why you, in DFS, you actually could target stronger fields and specific game types. But um, from a general heard, standpoint, yep. you want to just be going after the weakest fields. That's why. Um, larger field tournaments where yeah you're going to get first place less often but it also means that stronger players are a a smaller percentage of the prize pool if you're and then if you're playing you know like sub five dollar tournaments on DraftKings uh, any most like most regular good players aren't even allowed to play those so you know start there not only is it relatively low risk money-wise, but it's going to allow you to work on a strategy and, and build up a strategy. Not to say that that exact strategy necessarily is going to be profitable at the next level up, but it's at least going to give you the foundation and the basics where if you, you know, you do make some money, you, you decide to move up in stakes and things start going poorly, you have a good foundation to work more from foundation. where you can yep. say like, okay, this is what's different here. Like the, there's more good players here. What's so changed. this is happening yep. and I can adjust that. So I think it's, um, and also I guess, like an overarching view that that was more of, you know, if you, if you actually wanted to, you know, start from the bottom and build your way up and do this, like as a stream of income kind of thing. But I think the biggest thing is to actually ask yourself and be honest with yourself what you want out of this, because that's something where, um, you know, DFS advice should just be tailored totally differently, depending on who you're talking to. Because like, if you're somebody that, you know, has a very, you know, you have a good job, money's not an issue for you. Like you're just looking for a hobby there's no reason you should go play ten cents. You're not gonna enjoy it probably. You're gonna be bored. Like go play three lineups in the you know, five hundred dollars fifty first. Yeah. You know, if you're just trying to get a sweat out of it and you have the money to burn, then do that. That's what you should do because it's gonna be fun for you. Um if you're somebody that wants to, you know, build up a bankroll and do this long term, then do it the right way. Um
0: Yeah, I think that's
1: great, which I did not do, but
0: you should. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's a great point overall. And and anyone listening, I think we talked a little bit about it with regards to NFBC from a season-long perspective is know what you're getting into, like know what you're spending your money on and why you're spending it on. I think that's, you know, life. Why are you buying the car you're buying? Are you commuting to a city or are you driving around your town? Do you want to have something that, you know, has a convert? Like all those things. Like, why am I doing this? Uh, Makes a lot of sense. If yeah, are... I, I um, Jeff
1: Collins had a point that he had made that I completely agree with about live finals because he's gone really hard after live finals. He's obviously had success in them. Um, they're a very easy way to lose a lot of money really 100%. quickly. but And people kind of, there's kind of like within some of the, you know, regular DFS players, there's kind of a, you know, stigma where it's just like you know, they're, they're, they're a waste of money sort of thing. But Jeff's point was, and I agree completely, if my goal from DFS is to have a chance at just, like, making life-changing money, that's the quickest way to get there. Right. As long as, you know, you have the money to afford to to chase them. Right. You know, that's the easiest way to do it. It's not grinding out an entire baseball season to make, you know, a couple, you know, to make some money. Like, it's to just win a live final and take your million dollars and go have fun, you know? So Hold um, up the it B-jack. just goes back to know what you're looking for and, and know what you want out of this.
0: I will say Adam share has matured a lot since I first talked to him. The Perspective all of a sudden, Adam, of how to spend your money and why you're spending it. I feel like it's a whole yep. new world. Whole new world. But I, I'll ask you a question offline that I was going to make a snide comment, but that, that can be later. Uh, I asked during the season-long discussions, favorite draft food, right? When you're drafting, what do you have as what you're drafting with? During a sweat, are you eating at all? Or Is there food that, a comfort food for you while, while you're looking at lineups and, and the night's coming to a close?
1: Not really, I don't think, because normally by the time I know I have good teams, it's like 1030 at night, right. so <laughs> it's just, yeah, like, it, would, yeah, if, if I, like,
0: if you're eating, then it's bad, bad, well, season.
1: yeah, that's, but, like, if every time that I think my night is <laughs> looking good at, like, 745, if I, like, go order some nice dinner, I'm losing a lot of money really That's, that's it's for, not right, right on top
0: of on um, losing, amazing, Adam, where can folks find you on Twitter for your fun late night festivities when those happen?
1: Uh, at ShipMyMoneyDFS
0: uh and are you still the other do you play on fanduel at all no i mean no, okay. yeah,
1: very 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 but right that
0: right. handle has has died uh, i mean it's still
1: there like it's it's still
0: mine <laughs> yeah all right uh well, i'll tweet that out later too as well uh for anyone listening the four trivia questions are out there rewind and listen if you need to to get them tweet at me at dan strafford give me the answers whoever answers all four will be entered into a drawing for that awesome month package valued at 60 dollars. again thanks to alex baker for giving me that for free appreciate it i was going to buy it, but he said no, take this. I said, Cool dude, save me sixty bucks. Uh appreciate it. And my last uh, word here on awesome is I still cannot spell the word awesome correctly. After working at Osmo for so long. It always is typed awesome, which is awesome at work when I send it to coworkers and it says awesome. and they think I'm just being a complete dweeb <laughs> when it comes to awesome. But with that said, hope everybody enjoyed, enjoy DFS. Uh, we'll be back. I'm going to do some more of these throughout the year. Maybe I'll do some DFS analysis in my own way. Uh, but we'll have more episodes in the future. Appreciate everyone listening to the dish.